in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, the podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Chad Robinson, and joining me today is Ladies Night. We've got two great co-hosts. We've got Mary Guest. How are you doing, Mary? I'm doing great. Yep, she is more than a dozen times. I don't know how much more. I didn't count. Russell didn't give me these notes, but more than a dozen times Mary has joined us. So good to have you back. And we have another great co-host back for her third time on the show, Tessa Morrison. Tessa? Hello, hello, hello. Yes, all the way from Austin, Texas. Last joined up, we last had this trio for Predator. So we yes. we had a great time then. Hopefully we'll have a great time now. Part of the show where we just get a couple warm-up questions before we really dig into our movie. So we'll start with, we've got a superhero theme movie. We haven't done one of those for a while since Blank Man. Check out that episode. But we'll start with Tessa. If you were a preposterous amateur superhero living in, let's say, Champion City? Yeah, sure. Who would you be and what is your power? I didn't have to think too terribly long about this one. Uh, my character is called Imposter Syndrome, and they are a shapeshifter that can look like anyone, but is super apprehensive about whether they're pulling it off or not. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. I they love totally that. look like the person, but they're always like, "Am I? Am I doing this right? Am I? What do I do with my hands? What? Do, what am I? What am I doing?" <laughs> and then you know the the game is gone. I see a sequel and a part for you coming up. Yeah, for sure. That seems to fit right into this movie. Mary, who are you going to be? So I was informed <laughs> that oh. I would be the atomic tomato. Okay. <laughs> that, that my superpower is when there's trouble that I would put on, be really cold and put on blankets and then I would slowly, slowly heat up and burn my opponent. Because apparently this is what I do. (laughs) The blanket would absolutely be equipment. Yes, that's someone like your uh, your utility belt is a blanket. Yeah, I would I would be bringing a blanket with me, or maybe it would be my cape. Yeah. Okay. All right. The cape is a snuggie. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I like all of it. A custom snuggie with a tomato on the front. A flaming tomato. Well, I am going to be average man. I can jump average heights. I can throw an object an average distance. And I can run at average speed. That's my audition tape. So basically Ben Stiller from Mystery Men. Mm, he, he's slightly more angry. I'm an average uh. amount of angry. So Tessa, what's the last movie you saw? Oh, other other than Mystery Men a couple times. Um, that's going to be Sundown, The Vampire in Retreat. It's from 1989. It is a horror comedy western 
Um, Bruce Campbell's in it, but he plays a very minor part. But it's basically about this family that moves to this small town and the small town is full of vampires and they have all acclimated to one living in a desert town and two uh, contemporary times and they aren't eating on people. And so they're like just trying to fit in. So they're like kind of good vampires, I guess. Hmm. Um, But of course there's like a segment of them that aren't and are like, we want to eat people again. And you know, anyways, they butt heads in this poor human family stuck in the middle. All right, sign me up. I haven't seen that one. I will check. Yeah, that out. sounds strangely awesome. <laughs> Terrible. I mean, it's entertaining, but it is not good. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's the kind of terrible that you have to watch. Yes. Mm, like Thanksgiving. <laughs> All right, Mary. Mary, what's the last movie you saw? So I actually just rewatched the 1984 Dune and in preparation to watch the new one, but I haven't seen the new one yet. I love the 1984 Dune. Loved it since I was a kid. Why was I into that at age four? I'm not really sure, wow. but <laughs> that's, <laughs> that one's a classic for me, and I just had to rewatch it, you know, to, you know, like prepare myself to see the new one. All right, so the spice must flow. Yeah, so no spoilers about anything that I. You know, I haven't seen the new one yet, so I don't want to hear about how good it is yet. Okay. All right. I haven't. I'm emotionally attached to 1984, dude. I haven't seen it yet either. It's on the list. As for me, I watched Killer Movie, the director's cut. It's a re release of 2008's Killer Movie with Kaylee Cuoco. Um, it's not to go back on the average man theme, but uh, it's an average movie. <laughs> It's it's kind of fun. It's kind of see fun to see Kaylee Cuoco being just this awful person. But, you know, check it out. It's only that director's cut was 20 minutes longer. I think it winds up being 100 minutes long. It's a short movie. We beat around the bush a little bit. Mary, I think, uh, spoiled it a little bit. But do you want to tell us what movie we're going to cover today? Oh, sorry. I guess I already <laughs> spoiled that. Uh, right. We're covering uh, Mystery Men okay. from 1999. No, no longer a mystery. Right. <laughs> and sorry. No, that's fine. That's fine. It's a. I forgot uh, that part doesn't come in the podcast yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are very formulaic. We are strict about this stuff. So you you get one pass. Uh, this movie it stars Ben Stiller, Hank Azaria, William H. Macy, Greg Kinnear, Janine Garofalo, Paul Rubens, Kel Mitchell, and the great Jeffrey Rush. So what a cast here. It's released it's as, as Mary said, 1999 costs about $68 million to make. So herein lies the problem. It grosses $29.7 million. That's enough to place it at 68th in the box office. It placed behind Superstar, and a movie that placed behind it was The Insider. Russell has a note that it's a very good movie. I'll take his word for it. I haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, the number one movie this year, we keep picking 1999, I think just to antagonize me further, it is Star Wars <laughs> Episode One: The Phantom Menace. So I'll pause for the sadness that is. Uh, IMDb rating for Mystery Men is 6.1. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 61%. So the critics kind of like it. The audience is 57%. They're a little cooler. 
It's stunningly not nominated for anything. I could kind of see Raspberry Awards maybe getting in here a little bit. So let's talk about this. Tessa, we'll start with you. Have you seen Mystery Men before? Uh, yeah, I, I might have seen it when it came out in theaters. I, I went to the movies a lot. Um, you can ask Mary. Um, I was always dragging my friends to see anything and everything coming out and more often than not watching horror movies at my house um, and eating copious amounts of pizza. But yeah, I saw this. What was I expecting this time? I wasn't really sure. It had been a hot minute. It's been since at least probably college when I rewatched it at some point, I'm sure. But yeah, when it first came out, I was in high school. Yes. I think it holds up. There are a few kind of moments where Paul Rubin's character, the spleen, is being a little bit like kind of creepy, like, hey, what's up? <laughs> but um, he's not as bad as he could have been. And there was like, there's a couple of scenes where I was like, ah, maybe could have done without that. But overall, um, I, I enjoyed it on second viewing. It definitely holds up. It, it holds up in a way that we're, what we're probably going to talk about is how ahead of its time it is. So it more than holds up. It's better upon watching it now, I think, after all the superhero stuff that has come out in the previous years. Oh, awesome. Mary, had you seen Mystery Men before? So I had to fact check this with my sister <laughs> to confirm <laughs> that I remembered this correctly. And um, she does also agree with me that this is what happened. So we watched about, we, we got it on... Um, you know, from Blockbuster when it came out on DVD, and we watched about an hour of it, and our DVD froze. Oh. And <laughs> so I actually saw the first hour of Mystery Men when it was released on DVD, and then for whatever reason, who knows what life happens, and you don't get to, like, get a replacement disc, you just... We didn't see the end of the movie. <laughs> so it's actually the first time that I've seen the last half of the movie okay. to watch it for this podcast. And I, you know, because it's in 1999, I was second guessing myself. Like, I really, I don't remember how this ends. Why don't I remember how this ends? I know I've seen the beginning of it. And that is in fact why we had a scratched up disc from Blockbuster. Okay. Darn you Blockbuster. Yeah, I know. <laughs> for these, for the young ones out there, it's a place where your parents used to rent videos from <laughs> and we couldn't just press a button on our tv yeah yeah i w i was actually one of the 29.7 million in ticket sales i saw this in theater kel mitchell was the selling point for me i would see anything with kel mitchell i saw the good burger movie we should cover that sometime i'm sure that one holds up just fantastic i i loved it when i saw it in theaters there was a string of superhero movies in the 90s. This kind of comes at the tail end of it. It's it's in the parody genre. Austin Powers 2 came out at the same time as this movie. So going back, I was excited. I was glad this was shortlisted. It's got a soft place in my heart. I still enjoy it. I think Tessa's very, very accurate. There were some things I'm like, eh, that, eh, that doesn't hold up as well and i'm sure we'll get into that but overall i i do i think it was ahead of its time as well so i'm just gonna steal everything tessa said and repeat it <laughs> right so if you weren't part of the 29.7 million that have checked out mystery men from 1999 we encourage you go check it out 
see the movie, join us. We're going to take a quick advertisement break. And when we're back, we are going to spoil this movie. So we'll be back in a few seconds. What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks podcast. Find the Classic Film Jerks podcast on all the major platforms. Welcome to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And every week we review a movie from the past and reflect on things we miss, things we loved, and things we want to see again. Yeah, because we believe any movie worth watching is worth watching again. So if you like films, friendship, and a lot of callbacks, I mean, just so many callbacks, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever RSS feeds go for like-minded, movie-loving individuals. Like you. And we're, we're back. This is your last warning. We're about to spoil Mystery Men. If you haven't checked it out, go see it. So in the futuristic champion city, crime has all but been eliminated thanks to the efforts of the city's most powerful superhero, Captain Amazing. Three would-be superheroes by the name of Mr. Furious, who gets a tiny bit stronger when he's mad. The Blue Raja, who throws flatware. And the shoveler, who, uh, shovels, are trying to make a name for themselves, but are constantly one-opped by Captain Amazing. With so little crime happening and without a worthy adversary, Captain Amazing grows bored and his sponsorships begin withdrawing support. He engineers a way to allow his arch nemesis, Casanova Frankenstein, which is a fantastic name, to be paroled early. This backfires spectacularly when Casanova ends up capturing Amazing and our amateur heroes must come to the rescue. They recruit several other wannabes along the way, including Invisible Boy, who can only become invisible when no one is looking, the Spleen, who has super-powered flatulence, the Sphinx, who is kind of the team's Mr. Miyagi, and the Bowler, a woman who throws a bowling ball that's possessed by her dead father. This strange team struggles to come together, but manages to locate Captain Amazing before accidentally killing him. Now they're truly outmatched, however, just like a video game storyline, they get some upgraded weapons, more experience, and they get to try the boss again. This time they're able to overcome Casanova, hurling him into his doomsday device, killing him and saving the city. This ragtag team have become Champion City's newest guardians. Let's talk about this crazy storyline of three heroes with just very strange powers. We've got Hank Azaria doing an English accent dressed as someone from India, which he explains repeatedly as to why he's doing that. We've got Ben Stiller, who we come to find out didn't actually lift a bus when he was angry. And we've got William H. Macy, who carries around a shovel. What do you think of our trio here? We'll start with Tessa. I... I think they're a really fun, uh, a really fun trio. The shoveler, he's like kind of your straight man. Like that's yes. William H Macy's whole like bag is he can be f-ing hilarious without even trying. Like he just says things with a straight face, and he just cracks everyone up, whether he's trying to be funny or not. But yeah, his whole shoveler bit is like I shovel, I shovel well. It's like I do one thing good, and I'm gonna use that fight <laughs> crime, and then. Um, yeah, so the Shoveler, Mr. Furious, and Blue Raja, they, they try so hard 
but they never really seem to get any of their like gigs right you know when they're trying to like help people like we open on like a elder like a really weird elderly home like party yes and it's it's in like a banquet hall or something or a ballroom and it looks like something straight out of a batman movie which is because it is from a batman movie but yeah it's it's nuts this movie the the setup and everything just like the the I, I can't even. <laughs> I'm sorry. Somebody go ahead. What, what do you guys think of the trio? <laughs> Getting ahead of myself here. <laughs> well, I, I will say that this opening scene in the with the nursing home party, it's so strange that it actually, I think, serves the purpose of setting you up that you are in for, you're in for a movie that you haven't seen before. You're in a different world and... I think that's kind of the point of that whole scene. So on one level, I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> but on another level, after I think about it, it kind of sets the mood for you to be able to experience the whole rest of the movie. So I kind of have mixed feelings. It's like it kind of serves its purpose and does it well in a weird way. And it, it, it sets you up for this sort of unexpected journey you're about to go on. Yeah, I, I don't know what was happening with those old women with IV drips. Like, I don't know if they were doing a cakewalk or what. They were just going around in a circle in that party. <laughs> so, yeah, this. Yeah, I thought that, too. If, why, if you're on an IV drip, you're probably not doing any of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. But to back to your questions, I think that these characters are... Um, Sort of like they hit this strange balance of unexpected to to come up with a superhero that uses a shovel and um, a superhero that's not actually British or from India. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> Who throws cutlery. And somehow the actors in those roles actually make it work. And I think that's what astonishes me about it because it could have failed epically but you had these actors who could actually carry those um carry those bizarre characters through the movie yeah talking about our bad guy with casanova frankenstein i had jeffrey rush has such a fun time with this role and i i love this vampiric villain but i don't know how he kept a straight face and i have no idea how anyone else kept a straight face when he's He's got those claws that he's pointing one finger and advancing on someone. (laughs) I I love Jeffrey Rush. He does such a great job, but I would be cracking up every single time. And he's he's just loving it. He reminds me we did Robin Hood with Alan Rickman doing the Sheriff of Nottingham and just loving that role. Like it's (laughs) it's the same thing. Oh, rotty, rotty. Yes. And they absolutely, they even admitted, they're like, we picked this villain. This is based on a, a graphic novel, or not a graphic novel, but a story, a comic. They picked the villain just because of the name. It's a ridiculous and awesome name, and I think it fits the tone really, really well. So what about what about the rest of our cast? We've got, uh, we've got the Shoveler, Blue Raja, and Mr. Furious, but the rest of the team that comes along with Invisible Boy, Spleen, the Bowler, the Sphinx. Invisible Boy was added. He wasn't even in the comics. So Kel Mitchell's character, Invisible Boy, was apparently the product of some 
drunken ramblings at a <laughs> party in LA that just ended up coming and like the producers like yeah put them in do it um so I know that one originally wasn't in the comics and I thought it was really funny Mary you mentioned flaming tomato <laughs> yes. yeah. the original comic is the flaming carrot and the mystery men and yeah that's mystery hilarious men does not mystery men does not uh, include the flaming carrot at any point in time in this film which probably put off some uh diehard fans of the comic book um so anyway so yeah so i don't think russell knew about flaming carrot because he's been calling me a atomic tomato for more than a decade yeah yeah but um <laughs> I, I don't think the flaming carrot comic had anything to do with that yeah. that okay. uh, nickname yeah. yeah mr furious <laughs> and the shoveler were the two originals to the flaming carrot but they decided flaming carrot was too ridiculous so we had to replace him with captain amazing sponsored by rayovac <laughs> coke yeah or not no. anymore no. previously sponsored by pepsi yes yes i love that it, it kind of reminded me of like idiocracy I don't yes. know. I don't know why that movie stuck in my head, but it's just like, all right, we're going to sponsor our superheroes with these. It was like a NASCAR jacket. So he's got Rayovac and he's got Pepsi symbols. I I dug that because that's absolutely what would happen if we had. Yeah, wasn't there like a was it a toothpaste commercial when they're in the diner? There's Captain Amazing on TV. Yeah, doing. I think yeah. it was a toothpaste commercial. Yeah, he's everywhere in their world. Yeah, it's definitely kind of punching above where it's where I think people expected it to because it's definitely taking shots at you know this corporate mentality and he's losing sponsorship so he's trying to gen up crime just to get his sponsors interested again. So it's it's got some sharp commentary if you're really looking at it and that surprised me going in because I just remembered I Paul Rubin's farting. I, you know, I, I saw this when I was 15, and I remember Kel Mitchell being invisible and naked at one point, which yeah. is a great scene. <laughs> not not the evils of capitalism making previously uh, heroic people uh, turn to crime to right. suit their own needs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Captain Amazing is played by Greg Kinnear, and he's perfect. I don't know. I think there was talk of, they were going to have Bruce Willis be him or something. Yeah. I think yeah. at one point. Anyways. And then I think um, Danny DeVito was originally supposed to be a character in here somewhere. He was going to be the, sho- the shoveler. No? Oh, the shoveler. My bad. Yeah. But this cast is insane. You got like Eddie Izzard as Tony P. You got Artie Lang as Big Red. Tom Waits is in it as a crazy mad scientist who makes inventions like Mary there's more read more (laughs) oh gosh yeah it's um it's over the top and it's actually surprising that this first time director got all these people in his movie and I think they make the movie I think that that you couldn't if you hadn't had this amazing cast this movie would have been would not we wouldn't be talking about it today and most of them didn't wind up liking it. Artie Lang calls it his worst movie. He's got this terrible story where his family, he's got a very early role. He plays Big Red. He's the leader of the Red Eyes. His family called him after this opening scene and said, are you going to be in any more scenes? Because we want to leave. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm sad about that. Uh, you know, it. 
The guy who directed it, everything about this movie is ridiculous. The guy who directed it was pulled from the Yokiro Taco Bell ads or the Got Milk ads. If you don't know what those are, those were huge in the 90s. Go look them up. But we literally said, okay, here's an all-star cast of comedians. A right guy that writes commercials about a chihuahua wanting Mexican food. Go. (laughs) Direct a feature-length superhero film that clocks in at like two hours. Right? Yeah. Yeah, Ben Stiller was asked to direct it, and he just said, no way, this is going to be way too much work. He, he didn't want anything to do with this project. So I think it was Janine Garofalo that convinced him to come back to it. So good on her. She was yeah. fun. I, I definitely, of all the things that I remembered, I remembered the possessed father trapped in the bowling ball. I didn't remember all the commentary or the fact that her dad is, I, I don't think it was racist, but he said something super, oh yeah, he, he's, he thought Frank Azaria, in his words, was a fruit or what was the other thing? A commie. A commie or a fruit. Yeah. And she's just <laughs> like, my my dad's a bigot. Sorry. <laughs> I don't remember any of that. I just remembered the talking possessed skull. That was a great ad, too. I, I liked everything. She, she had a tough part as the only only woman on the team, but she held her own. Yeah, and she had really a tall order. The, the the whole idea of a character who talks to her deceased father because she's put his skull in a bowling ball. I mean, that <laughs> just, it sounds like a recipe for failure, but she was able to, like, convince us of that, and I think that she was really successful. Yeah. I can't imagine anybody else doing that and us even, like buying it you know <laughs> she yeah. she she made us believe that she was really talking to her dad you know her dad so yeah you're taking directions and you're hearing the bowling ball just said something really racist now react <laughs> what I think it helps it helps that they are probably a lot of them come from improv and comedy chops you know and then they're also actors so that definitely helps they're like oh we're just gonna yes and this yes okay <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a great point. They reading up on this movie, it constantly came it's almost a criticism. They said too many of these people were allowed too free reign to just ad lib whatever they want. The one that sticks out to me is Janine Garofalo at the end. They're interviewing everyone saying, "All right, is there anything you want to say?" And she ad libbed, "Support your local indie movie theaters." And indie music and things like that she was just spitballing and she thought they were going to try again they were just trying to use extra film and it stuck yeah it's a good it's a good line yeah yeah i I liked i liked all of it so i i don't know how much everybody else was improving but yeah eddie izzard as a disco boy tony p you know, we, we even get some directors in here. Michael Bay shows up for a minute. As uh, a frat boy. Yes. The, the, their group has been uh, accused of lethal hazing. Yes. I, <laughs> and I, I absolutely didn't remember Dane Cook being in this movie. It's, I don't the know. The Waffler. I didn't know if he was big or not. But did you all see the, uh, the story behind the Waffler? N- no. No, definitely. There's I a story. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. So Ben Stiller, he asked Ben Stiller, what should I wear? And he just said, oh, whatever, just wear 
uh, wear whatever you want to the taping. Your character's name is the Waffler. So he shows up with the waffle iron and the waffle t-shirt. And Ben Stiller goes, you idiot. Your power was supposed to be that you flip-flop and you can't decide. (laughs) (laughs) So I... I like the fact that it was so unclear that he just shows up with a waffle iron and they're like, oh, so much better that way. Screw it. We're yeah. going to go with this. <laughs> That's oh much better. So, yeah, I, I love that. Um, any other cast highlights here for you guys? Doug Jones is a pencil head and son of pencil head. Yeah. He's a kid with him. Yeah. That, that was some of Doug Jones's earlier stuff. Like this and Hocus Pocus, and he's in a lot of commercials too. Speaking of which, that might be how he got in on this. Yeah, yeah, he was. I liked Pencilhead. I didn't understand his costume said PM. Yeah, I was like, wondering about that too. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what you're going for here, but we clearly we ran out of money. I think with this movie, there was. <laughs> $68 million were spent, as Tessa alluded to, reusing Batman sets. Yep. Might, might have been why Danny DeVito turned it down. Like, he's coming off of Batman Returns and like, hey, would you like to stay on the same set and <laughs> do this over again? He's like, no, no, I, I don't want anything to do with this. He maybe just didn't want to get pigeonholed, bird pun, into uh, <laughs> roles dealing with uh, superheroes, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe he had a bad experience on set falling down that uh, uh, that weird winding staircase in the uh, mayor's uh, office. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's this movie made me want to go back and watch Batman Returns. I've got to I've got to revisit that. So we we do have our typical Casanova Frankenstein's plan of I've got some random doomsday device that I've stolen and blown up all the other scientists for. Uh, that part to me kind of it was almost background noise. I didn't really yeah. I didn't care what he was doing with this information, but I do like the twist and I completely forgot about it. It's a very memorable scene of the rescue scene of Captain Amazing. So did that th- revisiting that, Mary? You said you had only gotten an hour in. Maybe Captain Amazing hadn't been rescued yet. Was that a twist for you? I, it actually was because I didn't get that far the first time. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, it was really, it was really weird because we, I was watching it late one night and it didn't get all the way through i had to go to bed having a toddler you know yeah. like i just i couldn't keep my eyes open anymore and i stopped at about one ma- hour and two minutes in and i'm thinking i've seen all of this movie so far and basically <laughs> when i went to restart the movie at that one hour two minute mark almost exactly then i was like oh all of this is new so i yeah <laughs> none of the <laughs> i i did not see that coming with uh captain amazing just sort of spontaneously combusting and melting at the same time that was i was kind of thinking is this really just happening (laughs) that was stunningly (laughs) gruesome yeah Yeah. right because it didn't feel like the kind of movie we were in yeah and janine garofalo wasn't told that his arm was supposed to break off so when she touches that (laughs) arm her freaking out is because she thought she broke the prop so that (laughs) (laughs) nice that was genuine 
Tessa, do you appreciate killing off Captain Amazing? Oh, yeah, totally. He was the worst. (laughs) 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 I think it's hilarious that, you know, they literally uh, kill kill your sweethearts, you know, kill your heroes kind of deal for them to uh, move on and be the better version of themselves and not constantly be looking towards uh, Captain Amazing's approval. Yeah, screw that guy. Um, It's his own fault, too, anyways, for not keeping track of those toggles and yelling at them rudely. Right? I would not call those toggles, either. It was a giant electricity switch like you see in the original Frankenstein that Dr. Frankenstein is pulling down. He's like, flip the toggles. Just giant switch. I do like Hank as there he is confusion during that scene. Captain Amazing's just screaming at him, you idiots. And Hank is there. He just comes over and flips it up. It's like, uh-oh, problem. Yeah. He's like, just do it. Yeah. Janine Garofalo is like, I am not an idiot. You do not need to talk to me like that. You do not. And she's just like, <laughs> she was really just trying to like clarify. I'm like, okay, so the toggle up or down? How many toggle switches are we talking here? Let's stop yes. yelling. Yeah. <laughs> Get down to br- yeah. brass. I, I just, I really loved how his smugness and his like overconfidence about giving instructions for how to use this machine that he's never seen before. Like, that's what got him killed. And I think that that's just. <laughs> right. So I loved it. I thought it was totally appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Is it called the, the neuro or cryo fraculator or something yes. like that? Yes, the fraculator. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed all of that. I enjoyed the special weaponry. I, I liked, say it with me, Heller. His, Dr. Heller's whole bit with his tornadoes in the can and we see some of his weaponry get used that uh the shrinking gun that's used Mm -hmm. on clothing now that that scene probably didn't age very well particularly with uh i I think it was mr furious saying my pants got smaller too it's like all right Mm -hmm. that's that's not great i would have liked to see i think it would have been funnier if they did it to men like a men in a leisure suit or yeah yeah tessa's on the same page with me let's shrink some disco suits yeah that probably would have been funnier yeah yeah instead of just the women whose entire point was to be in mini skirts that were shrinking even further i guess yeah those outfits were small to begin with yeah shrink some frat boy sweaters anything like that i I did really appreciate the choreography, though. I Coming back to this, I'm like, there are some great fights. The shoveler's fight scene with the disco boys is great. With the spade? Yes, like, yes. I When you pulled out that tiny spade, I was so stoked. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that, too. I was like, where'd that come from? <laughs> I didn't know he had one of those on him. <laughs> he had... All the shovels in his house, he had a row of shovels, but I was surprised by the spade. I'm like, all right, it's been 22 years. I'm down for this. I, I like the spade fight. I, I like Ben Stiller's fight scenes. His were, his were fun. Most of it was just him getting tossed around, but yeah, when he shakes his fists in rage, it's a great shot. It's a great shot for Ben Stiller. I think he does that well. Moving on, we've talked about it a little bit, but our our director, his name is Kinka Usher, and he'd have been approached for other films, but he was discouraged when he saw the script for Mystery Men. He said, I thought it was really boring, but the premise was really great. So 
Most of these movies made by commercial directors, he says they're heavy on visuals and thin on content. He didn't want to be part of that, so he makes a two-hour super movie spoof. And like I said, he's coming from this background of he does Taco Bell, he does Got Milk. Uh, there were a few other commercials. This is his only cinematic film. This is this is all he does, and he basically said, "If this is what it's like to be a movie director, put me back in commercials." <laughs> <laughs> it's not though, because all the all the comedians were taking advantage of this poor new director. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was some rumor that uh, Tim Burton had shadow directed this movie. And that uh, Kinka Usher just put his name on it. I don't know if there's any truth to that. I, I would doubt it. But they, there's some similarities between Burton's films. I think it's the sets, really, that make, would make people think that. Yeah. Uh, I think that got debunked heavily because there's a lot of like behind-the-scenes f- behind footage of Kinka working on this. Um, and proof that he was the one that worked on it. I think the fact that it's got like a Batman set left over... It, it might have colored that a little bit for some people, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's definitely spoofing Batman quite a bit. What do you think for a first-time movie director? What do you think of the job that Kinkit does here? You know, I, I have mixed feelings about this, I guess, because I think there's some moments where the movie doesn't feel consistent um stylistically you have this really amazingly rendered blade runner type world but that's not you know when you're when you're looking at the macro but then when you zoom in the sets are all very comic book like so maybe that was an intentional decision but it makes the viewer at moments not really know what kind of movie they're in Mm, yeah. You know, are you supposed to be taking this more seriously as a dramatic film because it's beautifully rendered, or are we taking it in a more comic book approach? So I think that that makes it um, seem a little. You know, it just makes the viewer a little bit like, like I don't know what page the director's on with his intent there, and I also think that there's some. I mean, I think that there it was it's smart to let actors, especially comedic actors, have some leash and let them create. So I think there's moments where that's really amazing and it leaves you with some memorable scenes. But I think there's moments where something doesn't feel quite on point. Yeah. I think about I think about where the director said that the original script was boring and when we were researching this, there's yeah a, lo- a lot of talk of ad-libbing and stuff like that. And even the stuff that made the cutting room floor. And if they were like ad-libbing that much, like some of their quips are kind of cliched, but supposed to be because it's a satire on superheroes. But there's also some lines that I'm like, woof, if those are the ones that got like ad-libbed because the previous lines were not good, like how bad is the original script? You know, like how much did they elevate it from the original script? like the the uh, actors and the director so i feel like kinka did a really good job given like what what he was working from you know um but yeah i'd be curious to see the original script for this just uh just to have a gander and then mary was talking about tonally it is a little all over the place as far as like the lighting goes and the color palette and 
um, the way it's shot. It is frenetic, I want to say. It's kind of kind of all over the place, but maybe they're just trying to cover their bases on the different types of like comics and the different types of like superhero movies. So maybe they're doing like a wide brush as far as what they wanted to pull from. So maybe that's why it just feels tonally awkward sometimes. Yeah, th- throw a dart against a wall, see what sticks. Yeah. <laughs> Tessa, you were talking about some of the things in their original script. It does seem that Kinka made weird stands. Janine Garofalo kind of had Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher's syndrome with George Lucas of saying, we're not saying this. And she <laughs> she had a couple lines where she just looked at Kinka and said, no, I'm not doing that. But he put his foot down on some odd ones, like let's create some carnage. And she still rolls her eyes at that line. She's like, it's so dopey. I mean, some of this movie... I do think is meant to be a little dopey, but it is, it does have those weird moments where it's trying to say something more important. And then we have a spleen scene where he's just farting on people at a distance to make them pass out at the bar. So yeah, yeah, I, I definitely see the tonal issues and it seems like some of these sets may have been, I don't know if too good for this movie like (laughs) is where i want to go but i was i was actually talking with russell about this and he's going i want lower budget on this movie i want lower budget sets i came away thinking oh my goodness how much money did we give mystery men to make this movie these (laughs) these sets look nice (laughs) but it turns out they're batman money sets Mm mm-hmm Well, I think it's kind of fun that the special effects have this comic book feel. And they actually seem consistent in the way... And I appreciate that about it. So when you actually have a moment of like like the green tornado or the weird whatever happens with the refractor thing and everybody gets contorted in space-time... These have a consistent feel through the movie, and I think that helps tie it together in its weirdness. So unlike a, unlike a horror movie that I might criticize for having an inconsistent way that they show the gore, like sometimes it looks really super realistic, and then another scene will happen and it looks super, uh, you know, like B-level horror movie where it's like they're, they, they know that they probably shouldn't try because they don't have the budget to make it look totally, you know, actually real. So they make it, do they lean into the gore? And then the next scene, they do something completely different. This movie, I feel like I, I, when it comes to the action scenes, there's some consistency that I appreciate. Yeah, I agree. Like the, the action is just kind of the right amount of kind of, like comic booky and a little goofy, but also like the speed on it, like how fast things move, like everything kind of has the same sort of flow or vibe, like what you're saying, that it all gels. Um, like um, Janine Garofalo's bowling ball, you know, flying around, and then the tornado in a can, like you're saying, and the way they twirl around in that tornado and got picked up, and it's just the right amount of like lighthearted kind of tongue in cheek. 
Yes, but I think I would also, I, I, whereas I appreciate the consistency there, I feel like in terms of the sets and the visual, it, the scenery, mm-hmm. I feel the opposite way about because I feel like, okay, we've got this wonderful Blade Runner world and then like the shoveler's house looks like it came out of Edward Scissorhands. It's, it's, it's got bright colors and it's this like 1950s suburbia feeling. Yeah. And you're like, how is that house right outside this city? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The moments like that make me, in, in, in a way, I think it's just totally weird. I don't want to be critical of it, but at the same time, I think it's kind of an inspired thought from a creative point of view like who would have thought to make these two worlds sort of clash like that i wouldn't have come up with that and who am i to say that that's good or bad that's the architect in you because it it did not occur to me remotely futuristic city has a suburb that looks like normal america (laughs) didn't didn't phase me whatsoever so russell has uh made sure that i point out that the um the castle is sort of loosely based on um, Gaudi's architectural design, and I would Ooh. say loosely, <laughs> because it's kind of like they took some of his sort of um, organic forms and then kind of were like, well, we could make it look like a cheesecake factory. Oh, that's cheaper. Okay. <laughs> but equipped with a disco room that hasn't changed. Well, a cheesecake factory with a disco room. That their marketing is inspired by Gaudi. Okay. I don't know. Sure. So so these kind of weird things are strike me as very odd when I'm watching it, but at the same time, who is who am I to say or stunt the creative thought process that went into creating that mess? I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting and it's making us talk about it. <laughs> now I want to look at more background shots. Yeah. There's so much cool creative stuff going on in the background that I think really adds to the world building. Every gang has a different set of guns, and they don't look normal. They're they're these (laughs) cool-looking weapons. We've got Corvettes that are stretched out into limos. That was really cool to see. And then we have the Herkimer Battle Jitney, which, which you cannot buy because it does not exist, but was made for this movie. And apparently, Tessa sent me this great article. There's a huge following. Some guy was trying to buy the Battle Jitney and didn't work (laughs) out for him. I don't know who actually managed to purchase this thing, but I hope they're driving it wherever they are. I hope they're driving it around L.A. right now. I hope they've turned it into like a food truck or something. Yes. The mystery food truck. Yeah, it's going to be the mystery ramen. Nice. <laughs> and I love the concept of that vehicle. You know, what was it? The, the military's best non-lethal vehicle? Yes. yes. Why would the military have a non-lethal vehicle? That is, <laughs> like, aren't all vehicles lethal if... If you try hard you know, enough, I'm yes. sorry, I don't want to, like, break this down too much. But <laughs> all vehicles are lethal, yes. <laughs> I can't, I can't, you know, my, my INTP brain cannot get past that line where (laughs) I just get stuck on that. And, and I had to rewind the movie because I missed five minutes of dialogue breaking that down in my mind. Right. (laughs) It's interesting what people get hung up on. That did not phase me one bit. (laughs) 
at no point was there like, well, you know, you could just run people over with this. So, uh, and after I've explained the oxymoron, five minutes later says, oh, okay, you're still talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I am. The thing I got hung up hung blah, 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 blah. the thing I got hung up on was um, Tom Waits's uh, Heller the scientist's uh, business card. Yeah, it was like <laughs> chicken rentals, circus acts, aromatherapy, and inventor. And I was like chicken rentals. Why yeah. do you rent a chicken? Anyways. Yes, Janine Garofalo. I was a little bit hung up on Greg Kinnear's grocery list, thinking, you know, this billionaire guy, A, would probably have somebody drop his groceries off for him, and B, I would think he would eat better than that. Right. Yeah, it's like, I think Bill Gates was on Ellen when she was asking him how much a single banana was, and he he guessed $7, said he hadn't been shopping in several years. Oh, my God. It's like... (laughs) like yeah so out of touch so out of touch that reminds me of when i know we're going on a slight tangent here when larry king was uh interviewing danny pooty from community yeah um abed yeah abed and asking him what was a luxury that he couldn't live without and danny pooty goes coffee and really comfortable socks and larry king's like really that's it and danny's like i don't know what 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 should i have what should be the what luxury should i have and larry king's like private jet and danny pooty goes larry i'm on ducktales <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just like the the amount of uh just uh, basically disconnected from the quote-unquote real world or normal people uh that maybe uh captain amazing is also part yes. of i i do appreciate the superman riffs of well maybe he just takes off his glasses then he couldn't see <laughs> I love that. The simple logic. I I did enjoy that quite the, a bit. The classic Clark Kent um argument. Yeah. Conundrum. Yes. Yeah. I the wardrobes for this were all over the place. I really enjoyed Casanova Frankenstein. I thought he got a really cool outfit. Oh, I would totally wear his jacket. It was awesome. Yeah. Oh, that jacket was dope. Captain Amazing's was cool. He had a jetpack and everything. But others, like the gangs, it kind of looked like they raided a spirit Halloween store. So yeah. I, I, There's a lot of, like, cheap vinyl, shiny, like, material, lame. Like, all the shiny materials they used on their costumes had to have been a bitch to film. I mean... Yeah, there's a lot of shiny golden and metallic threads and fabrics there that, like, now for superhero movies, they mostly have, like, matte stuff, you know? Yeah. It was kind of a weird callback to the 70s because they were mm-hmm. so leaned into the 70s style, but at the same time, there's a plasticness about it that seemed like it was from a costume shop rather than an actual wardrobe. Yeah. yeah. Which, again, may have been an intentional choice. To have created a, trying to create a, a, you know, one of the, the, the things that bothered me was the, I don't know what they were called, but the women who were, had the different color outfits. Yeah. That, the, that got shrink rayed. Like, I just could have done without all of that. Like, yeah. why? Right. So many questions of why with regard to that. <laughs> I think that the those that group of gals was supposed to be kind of like a spoof on 
Catwoman over the ages and just kind of like that was their whole thing is their group was like a cat. Or no, they were called the Furriers, I want to say. Yeah. Is that what they were called? Yeah, yeah they are called the Furriers. Like, that was one the... thing that just didn't, I don't know, that didn't work for me, but. Same. <laughs> right, yeah, I'm right there with you. Still, shrinks and frat boys, or shrinks and lasers. I don't know, you suits. have a lot of good wardrobe moments that are really fun and quirky. Like, I, like Dane Cook's, like, shirt is, like, burned waffle iron. Yes. I love that. That was great. <laughs> that was pretty hilarious. I... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't really hugely keen on our heroes' costumes. They yeah, were... well, I wasn't either, honestly. My wardrobe moments that I like probably are everybody except the main characters. Oh, I yeah. dig the shoveler with his his uh, miner's hat or his construction hat. I dig it. Mm-hmm. And his child's vest. That was mm-hmm. that was a great explanation of, hey, Junior needs his vest back. <laughs> that, yeah, true. I forgot about that. But the, um, I, I will say that, you know, of course I get stuck on details. The the psychiatrist in the scene where the, she's like trying to convince the board that um, Casanova is cured. Yes. I kept thinking, oh, her glasses are amazing. I need those glasses. Yeah, the red streaks. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, uh, yeah. I need to rewatch that and look at those glasses because I've been shopping around. Um, I. Talking about costumes, probably the funniest one that they pointed out in the movie was the Blue Raja. Um, originally, his costume didn't have a lick of blue in it yes. until the end when they upgraded their costumes. He finally threw some blue in his costume. I like that he was self-referential about that of, hey, nothing about what I'm doing makes sense, but I'm just going to go with it and you're going to go <laughs> with it. So, <laughs> I, Hank Azaria can make anything funny. So special effects, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag here, I feel like. Some of the CGI I was looking through, I'm like, man, this is this is cool. Then others, I don't think they've aged as well. And some of it may have been kink is inexperienced, but we left special effects for where they shouldn't have been. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a there's a special effect at the end of the doomsday where that tornado in a can is is working but they didn't mm-hmm. throw any so that was a an alternate shot so we've got the tornado in a can going off but there were no actual tornadoes in a can thrown hmm. they're all over the place but i did appreciate the captain amazing melting that was very raiders of the lost ark yeah was that claymation because i feel like it was like a claymation stop animation yeah for the eyes bulging and everything mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I felt like that had to be a combination approach. And then, of course, the the end result is just completely realistic looking. Like that gory sort of, and he's just like ash that falls apart when Jerry and Garofalo touches his arm. Yeah. Like, they, they actually probably spent a lot of time and effort creating that sort of prop, basically, that was greg kidneer's body (laughs) but it was pretty impressive and i i kind of it it does make me wonder you know with the comic book like feeling of this movie was that the right way to go or maybe would it have been better had it been a little bit more goofy i thought it was goofy because his corpse was all like distorted and like when they zoomed out yeah it it was kind of goofy but at the same time it seemed real Like, especially when she touches it and it falls apart. Yeah, I mean, it was real as in, like, a real 
prop, but I feel like the eyeball popping out and like when and his teeth were all like weird and distorted and shaped yeah. funny. And he kind of looked like rat fink, like a charbroiled mm. rat fink. It was very Evil Dead 2-ish for me. Yeah. Of like a Sam Raimi type effect. So I, I was for that. It just reminds me of a Raimi movie. Let's talk about the soundtrack here for a second. Everyone refers to All-Star as sh- the Shrek song, and it's bothered me for years because this is something that has stuck out for me. I will defend That song's not actually in Shrek, is it? Yes, it is. Yeah, is it? Okay. Yeah. And Shrek 3, it makes a comeback. But, <laughs> it's, but it was first used in our movie here, 1999's Mystery Men. So what do we think of the soundtrack what do we think of using All-Star in Mystery Men? It definitely places it in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know that I have a lot of other commentary about it. There's a bit there's a there's like a, a bit of nostalgia about it for me. So I'm okay with the use of it, but I could see how somebody who might not have you know been consuming music in 1999 might not have that same link to place and time that we do okay yeah they actually do have a song called back in 1999 to open our film with so yes we are we are mixing disco inferno here and night fever by the bgs with smash mouth that's a really good point you know i mean it would have been more fun had they brought more 70s influence into the music and been a little bit more consistent with going back to a 70s type soundtrack yeah, they got they got the violent femmes. They got no more heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, the Bee Gees. Like, yeah, they had to have some of like the disco in there for for those guys. Um, yeah, I mean, it had a pretty decent soundtrack. They have Mark Mothersbaugh. And, yeah, yeah, I kind of enjoyed some of the soundtrack, but then again, it seems a little. I don't know. You got to lean into it all the way if you're going to go in that direction. Ah, uh, see, I for me, it's a weird secret sauce formula. If you <laughs> if you put All Star in a movie, I'm going to love it. I am <laughs> four for four. I think. Well, Shrek three was okay. The first Shrek was amazing. Mystery Men's amazing. Famously, you love the song, or you lo- love the movie that includes the song. I don't know if it's correlation or causation. <laughs> I, I don't know. But rat race, maybe you like the movie, so therefore you like the song. Yeah, uh, it it pops up at the end of Rat Race. So apparently, if you put Smash Mouth All Star in a movie, Chad's probably going to like it. I haven't seen there are five movies. I looked this up. Uh, this I get makers. it. When I watch Rat Race, I love this song. If I hear this song regularly, I'm like, why do I like this? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I, I have not seen the Digimon movie. I don't think I'm going to, but that's the fifth movie that features uh, Smash Mouth's All-Star. So there's your useless trivia for today. This has been Smash Mouth Corner. Yes. <laughs> it makes me, Was it SNL that did the, uh, the kids that were having nightmares about Smash Mouth coming in their bedroom? And so Smash Mouth was like kool-aid man through their walls just start singing all-star yeah that's no i don't know i feel like i remember first year of high school the song was new enough to be on the radio still and we hear radio in the art room and 
Like, it would get mixed reviews. Oh. Like, some people liked it, some people didn't. I, I will go to bat for it. I, uh, I'm bobbing my head along. Whenever that whistling comes on, it's like, yep. I don't care. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna I, it's this. got that same sort of factor for me now. Like some, there's some stuff from the '80s that's like, I shouldn't like this. If you write down on paper like what I like in music, I shouldn't like this. Why do I like this? <laughs> <laughs> Guilty pleasure, I guess. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Anything more about the soundtrack before we move on? No, I think that's got it. Okay. Well. Best part of our show. You guys ready to hand out some movie superlatives? Oh, you know it. Excellent. Tessa, we'll start with you for our MVP, director, actor, supporting actor, something else. Who's our MVP of Mystery Men? Oh, MVP's got to be Jeffrey Rush. You can't have, like, a, a good movie without a good villain, you know? Mm, yes. Captain Barbosa. I love it. Mary, how about you? This... I just want to say this was so hard to do superlatives on because I just love so many of these actors so much that it's really hard to, you know, like narrow it down and pick one person. And I really thought about, like, I almost said Jeffrey Rush, but I I do really love William H. Macy. And I feel like he is really key to me. He's like a glue here. He's so consistently... Um, he's that straight actor who with you that you build around and i feel like he interacts with the other actors so well like i just you know i feel like that should be recognized because i think that we would the movie would have felt very different without him and i think he's just spot on i don't know how he managed to get through the shakespeare line where he's trying to inspire people but it's it's basically a repurposed Shakespeare monologue with a straight face. There are so many things that he just says, and he's corpsing, I mean, he's blanking on it. And, the other and his, like, passionate feeling about the egg salad. Yes. And how he's going to eat the egg if we're not, if we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> like, should he eat the egg salad because the cholesterol will kill him? And I just... Yeah, I agree with you. How does he keep a straight face through any of that? He He's amazing. He makes the scene with Ben Stiller trying to come back so much more awkward, and I think that's absolutely what it needed. Just having this really beat-around-the-bush conversation, yeah. I don't know. I could t- talk probably for half an hour about how much I love William H. Macy in this role, and I feel like I would have liked to end the show with how much I love William H. Macy. So, anyway... <laughs> Well, he was he was my choice for best supporting actor because best supporting actor is like the glue that holds it together, Mary. So I was like, right. right I don't know. I just feel like, sorry. Yeah. Maybe I'm getting that backward. But anyway, Uh, I just. He's he's a good pick. Either way. He does. He holds the team together. I actually, I went with Janine Garofalo. I, I think the bowler tied the film together for me. It's when she's introduced, she's got the funniest banter. She's got the funniest ad libs i just i enjoyed every scene with her and i love the fact that she just needlessly antagonizes ben stiller i think there's something (laughs) just you know instinctual it's like if you antagonize ben stiller you will make me happy so yeah i i really liked her character i think that was fun and i think she had the toughest job 
out of all the main cast. So well, her and Ben used to date for like a hot minute, so she's going to be able to antagonize him. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. They they're so angry for, at each other for like a week. There was like a a hot and heavy week that they dated. All right, all right. You yeah. have, you heard it here, Tessa, best supporting actor. Already said William H Macy oh, yeah. was my best supporting yep. actor for the same reasons that Mary picked him as MVP. Okay. Yep. He was great. Mary, who's your best supporting? Okay, so I actually picked Janine Garofalo for my supporting. I felt like she just had such... I think I said this earlier in the podcast. She had such a tall order. I mean, she talks to a bowling ball. (laughs) And we buy it. I just don't think anybody else could have convinced us uh, and had the same sort of oomph that she has. So, yeah. All of them had to have a really wild time with that script. Like, you're Kel Mitchell. Okay, you've got to believably say, you can turn invisible. You can feel it. You know it. But it's only when no one's looking. Or or Hank Azaria, you're reading your character. It's like, so I'm American, pretending to be British, but not England British, but Indian British, and dressed as a ra- blue Raja who doesn't wear blue? Is that the direction? <laughs> yeah. I had a very hard time deciding between Kill and Janine for supporting actor because I do think that he just like I I mean he just looks at the camera with this like these innocent eyes. Yes. <laughs> the new hero, the wide-eyed, naive Ex- hero. It's like we can make a difference, right guys? We totally didn't just kill like Champion City's, you know, big hero. It's fine. It's fine. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's this cast. I mean, you can't even just like talk about the descriptors of the characters without giggling. Like that's that's how fun this movie is. Even even with some of like the weird dated acting and some of the cliche lines, which are supposed to be cliche on purpose because it's a parody. Yada yada. We've said this already. But yeah, I I haven't been able to pick my favorite hidden gem because I don't feel like anyone's hidden. Everybody's just out there doing their thing. Mm. Well, I, I'm gonna make a perfect triangle because we've. We've each given each other's best or MVP or in our supporting actor. I went with Jeffrey Rush as my best supporting actor for all the reasons Tessa said he's her MVP. You know, I love a good villain and he just, he's having fun. I love Jeffrey Rush hamming it up and I want him as more villains, so... He's so intense. He's hamming it up, but he's so intense while he's doing it. It's really impressive. Yeah, stage directions. Be Love disco. Be intimidating with basically a letter opener fingertip and sort of act like a vampire. And you have to file that fingernail right in the middle of the fight scene? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Only, Only Jeffrey Rush could do that. Also love apples. So Tessa, you you said you've got a tough time with a hidden gem, but you got to pick someone. So who are you picking? Oh, gosh. Um. Okay, best hidden gem is got to be um, the shoveler's wife. Okay. Because <laughs> she's she's like basically saying you got to pick me or the job, and you know she supports him, but she's also just like okay, like. She's, she's been with him for a long time, dealing with his superhero nonsense. 
But boy, she sticks she sticks by her man because he does eventually save the day at the end. She's like, all right, I guess all this all this, you know, uh, time and effort, you know, put into this is finally, I guess, paid off. But uh, yeah, like she helps ground the shoveler and we get to see his struggles with like, am I am, am I really worth it? Am I really going to like make it as a superhero? Like, you know, he's, he's struggling with his own imposter syndrome. Someone throws up in my pool. I'm leaving you. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. Yes. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that she provides such a grounding for that character. Yeah. I, like, I, it makes me like him more, I guess. I like that whole family. His little boys all encouraging. They're so cute. His yeah. kids are so cute. I believe you, Dad. Yes. <laughs> Mary, who's your hidden gem? I am such a huge fan of Doug Jones and pretty much every role he's ever played. So when I saw him in this, I was super excited. And I felt like he was kind of a hidden gem because I don't think I knew who he was at the time. You know, when I saw it and I did see that part of the movie back in 1999. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I knew who he was, though. So it was uh, quite a fun surprise when I watched it this time and found Doug Jones in there. So, yeah, Doug Jones. Yeah, coming back to this, I didn't know who Frank Azaria was when I saw it in 1999. No clue. I I don't know why I couldn't have placed him as a Simpsons voice, but, you know, just don't pay attention to that. Uh, my hidden gem lo- was uh, Louise Lasser. She played Violet. That's Blue Raja's mom. Yeah. And <laughs> her scenes of, like, motherly disappointment, but also acceptance just made me laugh so much. And when she finally gives him her best uh, silverware and says, I was going to save this for your wedding, but that's not happening anytime soon. And she just says it so <laughs> sweetly. Like, if it was a different actress, it could have been really bitter and mean. But she's just like, whatever, this is my son. I'm accepting of him here Here's some silverware. Go through it. <laughs> I had this weird feeling when I was watching her scenes that it would be so much fun to see Kate McKinnon do her character. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> she would have been great for that. I kept thinking oh my gosh. that Kate McKinnon, like, is that Kate McKinnon? Is that Kate McKinnon? No, obviously she was like the same age we were in 1999. <laughs> so no, it's not Kate McKinnon. But, um, yeah, I just felt like she would do such a good job um, Jeffrey, as are you that in the character. <laughs> you can tell me. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Yeah, she would be great for that. All right, we we have a a lot of people in this movie, but Tessa, you've got to recast one of them. Who are you recasting, and who who's the replacement? Oh God, um, I don't know. Uh, pass for now. Let me think about it for a hot minute. Can we'll we get back to you? Just circle around the Tessa. Okay, that's fine. I gotta think about that one. Oh, well, okay. it, it is extremely hard to do a recast on this movie. I agree because so many people are so awesome. Okay, okay, I got, I got it. So right. we we already have a a gang of bad guys that are rappers. Yes. The not-so-goody boys. The not-so-goody boys. Let's recast all the female Catwomen, the Furriers, instead with a bunch of female pop idols that are evil. 
All right, so you're throwing in the spice oh, girls. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah spice fun. girls would be good. Um, instead of like you know uh, what are girls made of? You know, sugar, spice, and everything not nice in this situation. All right, yeah, I I dig it. Get Victoria Beckham in here. That would be so much more fun than sort of this random, you know, girls that we don't know who they are. Yeah, we yeah. know nothing about them, but they're like actual people like and isn't angelica bridges she's a model right like people know who she is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but there's nothing about her character that makes me remember her here so if she was like playing like a pop idol and they make you remember that it would be be like oh okay yeah well that's fun you know that one definitely felt the laziest even though the frat boys at first was like is this the hockey team like they all look like they're wearing hockey jerseys those weren't really frat sweaters they needed preppier frat sweaters i thought (laughs) all right a tangent tangent (laughs) chad's critiquing the uh wardrobe on the frat boys Uh, i've seen a lot of frat boys in my day despite my name i was not in a frat so i will defend that Um, (laughs) but uh none of them chad wasn't a chad every every are you saying that every um frat house has a chad uh, they probably they probably they do. probably do i think it's an obligation <laughs> but you know there were no pop collars i don't know if 1999 pop collars were a thing but i picture polos and the double pop collars that irritation uh <laughs> rant over listen <laughs> mary who are you recasting oh recast okay so like i said this is one of the hardest movies that I've had to recast because everybody brings something special and unique to the table. But I will say that when I had, when I, I sort of had this moment of, wouldn't it be fun if dot, 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 Michael McKean were in Tom Waits's role, Heller. Oh, I just thought that that you know, I thought that Michael McKean could have fit into that role really smoothly. I like it. I like and it, it. I like Tom Waits a lot, so I'm not like saying I want to recast him, but I feel like a, a Michael McKean Heller would have been a lot of fun too. I did appreciate that Tom yeah. Waits wrote his lines on his fingers, so that's why he's yes. doing that weird finger thing because he's reading his lines off of them. And the director's just like, sure, that's in character. <laughs> we'll keep that's it. super weird and quirky. And I, I do like Tom Waits in this role, so I don't want anyone to think that I'm, like, down on him. But I just feel like Michael McKean could have done something really fun with that role, too. No, it's a, it's a forced question, so we've we've got to get an answer. Uh, yeah, I feel like sometimes there's somebody that you want to recast. Yeah. There's somebody sometimes in a cast that sticks out, and you say, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but i but i you know when i'm forced to do it i you know it it does say something really positive about the casting of a film when i feel like i'm forced to do the recast so that's definitely a plus for the film it says there's amazing people in it i i will be ducking for mary on my recast listen when i hear danny devito wants to be the shoveler I cast Danny DeVito. William H. Macy <laughs> was amazing, but how dare you, Chad? How I, dare you? 
I think every scene would be so much funnier with Danny DeVito. I, just everything he does makes me laugh. And yeah, William H. Macy is great at the straight man, but I think Danny DeVito makes it just ridiculous. So, we'll have to fight you on that one, Chad. Yeah. yeah. I actually would not sub out Danny DeVito. Yeah. Even I, though I really love Danny DeVito. I mean, you and I did get shorty earlier, and I want He's amazing. The... He's amazing. But William H. Macy, like, I don't know. <laughs> what about... I'm not going to fight you on your recast. <laughs> what about Danny DeVito as the Sphinx? Okay. Oh, wow. Wouldn't that be... Yeah. <laughs> yes. I could yes. go... I could be on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. You've you've avoided Mary's uh, Mary's rage is subsiding. So <laughs> the atomic tomato. Yes. Going to black out. <laughs> <laughs> In a very cinematic movie, Tessa. What is your best shot? Uh, best shot. I, I guess the best shot has got to be the claymation scene where they they kill a. Uh, Captain Amazing, I guess. Yeah, it was pretty out there and very... It just reminded me of animation by... What's his name? Plinkett? Man, I can't remember. There's this animator. He he did stuff for MTV, Liquid Television. It definitely mm. reminded me of some sequences from Liquid Television. Okay. All right. I, know, I didn't know his name, but yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was... I'm always up for a gory disintegration type scene. So, yeah, that was cool. Or even better yet, when Janine Garofalo's The Bowler is like leaning into the fraculator to drop the bowling ball, her father into it to destroy it, and her face gets distorted a little yeah. bit, but she doesn't die. That was really cool. Yeah. And f- that one. <laughs> All right. Very good. Yeah, I like that too. I think that was part of that sort of aesthetic that was effective in the movie so yeah i totally like that janine's face got a little bit warped and then she came back out of it and she was fine it was very good (laughs) uh best shot so i'm gonna point out just something quirky and fun that i liked outside of casanova's house there's this huge lawn and in multiple times during the movie our heroes sneak across the lawn yeah. for no reason. They could just sort of walk along the bushes and be completely hidden and it would be fine. But no, they have to go dashing out into the open and we make this sort of cinematic moment where we zoom out and we see them dashing across the field and jumping into the bushes and it's just completely pointless, but it's so much fun. Yeah. And I'm on board with it. So you like the Ben Stiller army crawl at the end? It it was a lot, but I feel like it was necessary. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed the team goofiness that they don't know what they're doing. There's a slapstick quality to that scene that I really like. Mine's probably a trailer scene. I haven't seen the trailer for this in a long time, but Mr. Furious, when he's standing on top of casanova frankenstein's limo and he's trying to like hulk himself up and he's got his fists in the air just screaming and you get a close-up of his face as he's trying to rage up i i really like that shot it's very comic book-esque so it's 
And then he just goes and does absolutely no damage to the limo, which is, <laughs> you're like, okay, all right, here it is. Here's where he's going to unleash. Nope. He he doesn't even dent it. So. And the irony is he works at a junkyard and has to tear apart cars. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And his boss is awful. I'm pretty sure that was Russell's favorite scene when we were talking about it earlier today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That does not Old surprise lady. me. Junk it. I said joke it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we got Russell's best scene in there. Tessa, what's your best scene? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, kind of akin to what Mary was talking about earlier with Janine being able to argue with the uh, spirit of her father in the bowling ball. But there's also the scene where she's talking to uh, Jeffrey or the Blue Raja. Uh, about his relationship with his mother and like kind of psychoanalyzing him, but also being a friend and giving him advice. And I'm also kind of wondering if she's kind of maybe into him a little bit. And so I really kind of liked that that scene where they're just at the bar, just shooting the shit, getting to know each other. There's no like weird quips or anything. And she's just kind of like, you know, just getting to know her teammates. It was really nice and kind of uh, genuine. Yeah. Okay. I I did like that. I. I enjoyed all of her scenes, but she really does seem to want to get to know everyone, even even with the spleen when she's saying there's not enough beer in the world. But sorry, she she has her moments with the spleen where they're kind of getting closer. So it's nice. Right. Mary, how about you? Yeah. So that's definitely what I wrote down in my notes is my best scene. The moment where she's in the bar with um um, the Blue Raja and particularly how she's arguing with her dad about how she should be able to have a conversation with her friends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I loved that. I think that's one of the moments where I liked her character the most. And the bartender is absolutely fine with just talking to the bowling ball. <laughs> There's probably stranger things that that bartender sees. Yeah. Than her true. talking to a bowling ball. That's true. Guarantee just it. putting it out there. Yeah. D- Dane Cook's <laughs> wandering around with a waffle iron doing God knows what. So. <laughs> uh, my scene was another kind of get to know you type scene, but mine was Captain Amazing and Casanova Frankenstein when they first meet back up at his castle lair type thing. And they start this banter of, I knew you'd do that. Well, I knew you'd know I'd do I do that. Well, I knew you'd know. I knew you. And it just keeps, I don't know how they kept up with those lines. It gets so complex and silly, but it's just endearing at the same time. And I I just really like Greg Kinnear and Jeffrey Rush out, out hamming each other here. Yeah, that's definitely a fun scene. I like that too. Best wardrobe or makeup? We've talked a lot about the clothes here. Tessa? Oh, boy. Um, I don't, Like we said, we talked about the costuming and, and wardrobe and, and how they went with these elaborate costumes with cheap materials. <laughs> and I, I hmm, a lot of them are just so gaudy. Um, I, I don't know. I would say I really like the Blue Raj's final costume, and it's actually kind of pretty, and it's not that bad. I'm trying to think. Just some of the Disco Boys costumes are just amazing. I just <laughs> got to say, the uh, Eddie Izzard and his gang's costumes are 
pretty dope. Yeah, Tony P. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Disco is never dead. Disco is life. Yes. <laughs> All right. Mary, what's your best wardrobe makeup? It sounds ridiculous, but I'm going to have to go with Dane Cook's shirt and oh. having the burned waffle iron marks on it. All right. Dane. <laughs> I just really got a kick out of that. That is homemade a- quality to that shirt. Literally was Dane Cook improv, so he was not given that <laughs> at all. So kudos to you, Dane Cook, for your confusion about your superpower. And commitment. Yes. Yeah. I Again, he's reading this script a completely different way. It's like, well, guess I got to go put waffle iron, get a waffle iron and iron my shirt. <laughs> That's excellent. Uh, I enjoyed the sponsorship on Captain Amazing's outfit. I think it actually harkened back to Wayne's World. They were they were doing this not-so-subtle advertising the entire time. Ray of Axe in your face. Pepsi gets thrown out quite a bit. So I I like that. Um, I, I like the NASCAR-inspired outfit. So I thought that was cool. Uh, change one thing, Tessa. Um, change one thing. I guess maybe take out some of the awkward horny jokes. Mm, yeah. The, uh, That'd probably be an overall, like, just suggestion, maybe. It, the shrink was bad enough, but then the, I feel like my pants are shrinking. Like, yeah, we got it. That was, that was a weird thing, especially since he was trying to date the waitress, Monica. Like, that was a weird thing for his character to say. Yeah, or just maybe it lose, felt like, out of place. Yeah, the ogling. There's a lot of ogling going on. Yeah, a lot of m- the guys mugging at girls, like fighting and like. Oh yeah, yeah. the Wonder Women fighting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that there, was weird. The joke about them saying there's potential there because they were fighting that was a good joke. Yeah. But the overt male gaze ogling was a bit much. Yep, agreed. Mary? Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the other thing that was weird is the whole scene with the skunk. Explain. Oh, I like oh, yeah. that. I, I like feel that. like that just didn't even need to be there. Mm-mm. <laughs> See, I, I'm for that. But, uh, you know, I'm a child. So <laughs> if you have a skunk. I, I did. Li- I, you know, um, Invisible Boys just go with it i mean i honestly that was kind of funny that's but i didn't know why we were having that scene at all because <laughs> he's smelly and yeah you know. but farts don't smell like skunk so no. i would ass- i would think that the skunk would also run from him i don't know Listen, <laughs> when you've when you've got a two if i movie. were a skunk i would run from him probably yeah. <laughs> uh but my change one thing, I'm picking something else that really bothered me. This shoveler, he rips off the head of the dinosaur toy. He runs over it with his car, and he rips off the head. And I couldn't emotionally handle that. Right? <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't. Yeah. I have a child. I couldn't imagine bringing destruction to one of his favorite toys. Right. Yeah. That was too much to cope. And I felt very inconsistent with the shoveler's character. So, Mary? Yeah. Did you recognize the toy? Did I recognize the toy? Yeah, it's a plush. It's it's a dinosaur from a movie. And anyways, it's um, is it it's from what movies? We're back, a dinosaur story. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, really? It's the T-Rex. I just, I didn't, I didn't even register that because I, I just, I was so upset. I, I wondered if <laughs> I this paused was... the movie when that happened. <laughs> that the, the mom of, the mom and me just couldn't handle that scene. <laughs> that's an excellent point. I kept thinking, I don't remember this and I don't know where they're going with this, but is it like an evil stuff? Like, is this a really lame villain? I couldn't, but no, yeah, he just ripped the head off his kid's toy. Yeah, too much. Yeah, I couldn't, I felt like, I like the shoveler so much, and then he does that, and it's like, what? <laughs> Everybody's kind Change of a thing. monster. Don't do that. <laughs> yes. All right, leave the stuffy alone. Yeah, got it. <laughs> For me, the, the Sphinx was absolutely useless at the climax of the film. Everybody else got their own private moments. Even the Invisible Boy gets his moment of triumph. The Sphinx could uh, cut guns with his mind. That would have been helpful when they were all getting shot at. So, I don't know. Give the Sphinx something to do. Hmm. Wasn't that kind of the Sphinx's thing? Is maybe he couldn't actually do anything super, but he brought that team together? Wait, he cut all the Disco Boys guns when they were about to shoot the mystery. Right. Oh, he, yeah, I forgot about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, good point. Yeah, he actually could do things. He just doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he just, he, he reverses what people says all the time. I did like that scene with Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller's like, this is ridiculous. You're just reversing what we say. Maybe. Uh, best quote. Tessa? Oh, I already said my favorite quote was when they were trying to enrage Mr. Furious and William H. Macy turns around while they're in the car uh, on their way somewhere and Mr. Furious is having some sort of, you know, crisis of conscience and personality and identity. And William H. Macy goes, your penmanship is atrocious. <laughs> um, that's probably my favorite. Okay. Yeah. Mary? Um, yeah. Tessa picked a excellent one um so i think one that i liked a lot was um actually mr furious when he said when he's he's getting mad at the uh, sphinx and he says i don't need a compass to tell me which way the wind shines <laughs> <laughs> i, I, I did lo- like i his... love his mixed metaphors i love him yeah, he's got a bunch of those the, the can't remember anyone's name he gets carmine's name wrong he gets carol's name wrong yeah, I, I liked all that. Um, best quote for me, I, I already alluded to it. I really like uh, the rage subsiding. I still say that to this day, and I don't think I've run into a single person that's gotten it. But one day. Oh, I would have gotten it. Then <laughs> the rage is subsiding. I do. He's got so many good things. And he's, I can't go back. I just left this morning. That'd be ridiculous. (laughs) All right. Tessa, thank thank you for joining us. Do you have anything to plug before we get into our ratings and recommendations? Thank you for having me again. Absolutely. And uh, having me back after a predator. (laughs) Yes. Um, that was a really fun one. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, plugs. I also do movie reviews for oneofus.net. I'm trying to think which review we have that just dropped. I believe we had a review for the Tom Hanks sci-fi film Finch uh, just dropped, and we discussed that. 
Uh, we also did a review for um, Why the Last Man and the latest season of What We Do in the Shadows. So those reviews should be on um, oneofus.net. We have a Facebook, uh, Twitter. I don't believe they have an Instagram. Uh, besides that, I also guest uh, appear on a YouTube channel called Rage Select, where we play video games and discuss them, review them, riff on them, what have you. Um, and beyond that, I'm also going to be a monster in a friend's short horror film. So I get to Doug Jones it up. I'm going to be wearing silicone arms and a mask, and we're going to see how this goes. Excellent. Excellent. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very nervous, um, (laughs) but we'll see how it goes. That, that's uh, you're gonna be great uh, it does sound like intimidating to go through some of the makeup stuff that you like with like, you're talking about silicone type of stuff it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fine I'm gonna have um, assistance and somebody that's gonna be there to like hand me a jacket give me water or whatever as soon as I get out of the mask so I can hydrate um, I'm getting contacts I have to pick them up tomorrow actually um, to be able to fit the mask because I am blind as a bat without my glasses so I'm like <laughs> I have to get contacts for this gig um, anyways but uh, the film is called I believe it's uh, Hot, Hot, Hot Tinu I want to say uh, hopefully I'm saying it right um, but yeah it's like a western sci-fi horror yep awesome sounds fun awesome awesome check all of that out We've come to our ratings at zero to five stars, half star intervals. Tessa, what are you giving Mystery Men? Mystery Men. I think I'd give Mystery Men. Let's see. I'm going to give it four out of five really uh, eccentric and well-rounded business cards. <laughs> Yes. All right. I love the reference. Mary? I also was landing on a four. I felt like I really... There's some some weird things about this movie, but it makes me um, appreciate how ambitious they were with it. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a four. Okay. I'm going to make it a clean sweep, which makes me feel better because I, I can't justify this rating. <laughs> We've talked about it a lot. There's, if you're looking at this objectively, it's probably not a great movie, but I love it anyways, and it just makes me happy. So, four stars. Deal with it, critics. No, I feel like that's fair, Chad. I feel like we're rating this here now in 2021, and that might have been different from our rating in 1999. Oh, Lord. Because they really were so ambitious, and they, they picked up on things that we weren't ready for yet. 1999, young me, this would have been a five stars. So. <laughs> <laughs> I might have not rated it that high in 1999. I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe I would have if I had seen the whole movie. You know what? It had a skunk hump- Damn you, humping. Damn yeah. Right. <laughs> a skunk humping a guy. Five stars. This was my skin. Cinematic <laughs> yeah. treasure. Yeah. Yes. Mary's, Mary's changing it up. I'm just going with it. Or maybe they didn't tell us about that we had a scratch DVD because my mom decided to take the dog into the store with us. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that could have affected um, (laughs) our customer service at Blockbuster. This is why you're out of business, Blockbuster. (laughs) 
Scratch DVDs of Mystery Men. This could have been a cult classic. All right. I, I feel like it is a cult classic. So normally this is a part of the show where we are selecting a movie for next time. We're not going to do that this time. We have a special episode where we honor the class of the new retro as we define it. And re- retro is 10 years or older. That's that's what we went with. So we're going to be doing our top 10 movies from 10 years ago episode. Here at the round table, we'll be counting down the top 10 movies of 2011. This is not a... Uh, I looked, Russell sent me the list of like Oscar nominees from 2011. I said, yep, haven't seen any of them. I got some more work to do. But I have seen Jack and Jill, so stay tuned to see if that makes the list. All right. (laughs) Thank you again, Tessa, for joining us. Thank you all the lords, ladies, knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to read reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever people get their podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. We're lonely and we just want to hear from you. Producing and providing this podcast is fun, but it's not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable. Any contribution is much appreciated and goes towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Tessa, you've got a quote for us? Oh, yeah. We've got a blind date with Destiny, and it looks like she's ordered the lobster. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me.